Thank you, Lord. Have you been finding yourself in a place in your life where you're able to get more focus? That's been our vision this year is for 2020 is focus. I think so many times we find ourselves distracted by a lot of things and I don't know about you, have you ever been a part of, have things in your life that are time stealers, to steal your time? God's going to give us victory over that. We've been emphasizing prayer, and in that prayer we're going to get more focus on Jesus, and we're going to realize those things that are not so needful in our life and those things that are needful in our life. i tell you what, I want to follow after Jesus. I don't want to follow after anything else. I can't follow after man. I got to follow after Jesus. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Are you like that too? Had to follow Jesus Christ and him. He's the Lord. He's the shepherd. Hey, we're the sheep. So all I can say is get in line, sheep. Straighten up, sheep. You follow him. No one else. I'm talking to myself too, okay? Because the Lord leads us all. He's the great shepherd. Praise the Lord. But God wants us to focus. And the key verse of scripture is Hebrews 12 and 2. In the Amplified Bible it says, Looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. We're focusing on Jesus. We're giving our eyes on him and focus on him. Focus, another word for focus is studying. We're studying Jesus. We need to study him. Follow him, you know. Watch how he does it. Look at how he handles it. Live as he lives and talk like he talks. We're going to focus on on Jesus. Why else would I put large cardboard letters on the platform Jesus? As a matter of fact, there's such an invasion or an attack against the truth of a savior named Jesus in America that we need to probably just put up Jesus all the time. His name because there is no other way but him. It's him. That's why at Christmas time we encourage folks to celebrate and tell people Merry Christmas because Jesus is the focal point of everything in, in our life. Praise the Lord. So we're going to look away from what all that distracts us and focus our eyes on Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Just do this with me, friends. Just raise your right hand right now. Father, we just lift our hands toward you, toward heaven, for inspiration, for a word that we might receive, that we might join in with the preached word, and we receive the word as prophetic in our life. And Lord, we just, we, all of us want to sense that anointing that falls upon not only the speaker, but the entire body. And we thank you, Lord for everything and we receive your word in Jesus name amen amen turn with me to Acts chapter 9 verse 1 through 9 
Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found anyone or any who were of the way. Oh, I, I just love that. I just love that, you know, capital W-A-Y. How many here in the way? Now, that's preachable right there. I could pause there and just preach about being in the way. Not in the way of God doing something, but in the way of God doing something in your life. Not as a hindrance, but as someone who's connected to him. He says, so that if he found anyone who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank I want to just talk a little bit here of this man Saul of Tarsus and if we were to look at his background and know where he came from it would give us a greater maybe understanding of what God's trying to tell us there are probably 10 sermons in just those verses right there I shared with you so don't worry I won't preach them all today but I want the word to come alive in all of us this morning. We might receive something from the Lord. And I do sense his anointing. But let's talk about the history of this Saul of Tarsus so we might appreciate him and appreciate an understanding of him. This man, the Saul of Tarsus, eventually became Paul the Apostle who was a central figure to the mission to the Gentile world of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. His Jewish name is Saul, and Saul being his Greek name. And being from the tribe of Benjamin, it's no doubt because he was no like, probably for sure he was named Saul after the first king of Israel that came from the same tribe that he was from, from the tribe of Benjamin. The very word Tarsus, there, it has significance. He was born in Tarsus, but according to epistles, he says that he's the Hebrew of Hebrews because he's speaking of the fact that his mother and his father were Hebrews. Both of them were Hebrews. But because being born in Tarsus, he had a Roman citizenship 
because of his father. Saul was from Tarsus. It was a Greek city which is now, which is in Syria, but now in modern day Turkey. And it was a, a great university city of, the, of his time. He received his early religious education from his father and mother. And it was a teachings of not of the Sadducees, but of the Pharisees. Saul was born in Tarsus, received his earliest impressions of the atmosphere of Hellenism and the Greek culture of art and philosophy. But when he was 14 years old, his parents moved him to Jerusalem where he would go to the university and teaching there in Jerusalem to become a Pharisee and to learn the truth of Judaism and the Hebrews' teaching. He was generally regarded by the rabbis as being one of the most promising young man in Judaism. As for zeal, no one surpassed the zeal of Saul of Tarsus. Saul's conversion that we can find here in Acts chapter 9, the account is told in two other occasions in the book of Acts chapter 22 and 26. 22 by Paul sharing with the Jewish crowd about his conversion in chapter 26 was when he stood before King Agrippa, but he gives the account of his conversion. When's the last time you told someone about your conversion? How it happened? How God set you up? I tell you what, so many of us are so busy trying to rehearse the newest things that preachers say when really the greatest script we could ever share and begin to give is our own personal script of our own personal experience of our conversion to Jesus Christ from the life of sin to from darkness into light. You need to rehearse your testimony. You need to be able to share your testimony in detail without boring someone. Be quick with the facts. Be clear and concise, but be sure to share your conversion. Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You agree, do you agree with me this morning? <laughs> the other religious leaders there in Jerusalem, they were satisfied, the Bible says, that when they started persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem, they were satisfied maybe that they were scattered. But Saul of Tarsus wasn't satisfied with that. He went beyond what his... his uh, his contemporaries did, his, those who were with him, he went beyond, he decided, he went and sought a letter that he may go to the synagogues there in Damascus and begin to collect those who are in the way and begin to bring them to prison, men and women. No matter who they were, he was going after them. He was not exactly a very popular person among the Jewish people. They were afraid of him. He had a reputation, and they feared him, but there was Saul of Tarsus. He thought he was doing the thing God wanted him to do. He was willing to leave things. Many were willing to leave things as they were with the church in disarray, running around, scattered, but not Saul of Tarsus. He went out there. The Bible says he was breathing threatenings of imprisonment and murder and execution. This is how severe this was in this, uh, this, this zeal of him to go after God's people. 
But even though he was that kind of person, even though he was public enemy number one against Jesus and hated him, yet he's the man who became Christ's special instrument in carrying the gospel to these cities under the influence of Greek culture. The Lord used what was going working against him. He used it and he transformed the life of Saul of Tarsus. Jesus' choice of Paul or Saul of Tarsus, it wasn't an impulsive thing, but rather he was, he was something in the making. Your salvation and experience, your encounter with Jesus, child of God, was not impulsive with Jesus, rather something in the making. Turn to your neighbor, look and say, hey, I'm something in the making. God planned me. God set up me. God worked with me. God had an arrangement. And I was something in the making. My conversion was something in the making. And if you were to look back in your life of all your experiences and where you've been and what's happened to you, what's affected you, you could see the fingers of God working and that you were something in the making of what you are right now. And can I speak into the future? His creative work hasn't stopped since you come to Christ as your Savior. He wants to work you into, make you into something, into his plan all the days of your life where he can use you and fulfill you and bless you and prosper you and use you for the glory of God. You're something in the making. Hallelujah. 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 Even you, you may be wondering, you know, maybe wondering how did, did you get where you are right now? How did I get here? I can't believe I'm, I'm here. And even, even if you had a terrible past, you've done things that you are totally ashamed of. Only Jesus can take our past mistakes, our bad choices, and transform them into something useful. While others are crossing you out, Jesus is signing you up. And his ways are higher than our ways. Hallelujah. Put me on your list, Jesus. Sign me up, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, we talk about my name's written down in the land's book of life, and it is for salvation. And we think that signature is only good so that you can make it one day when you stand before God and the signatures are revealed and you make it in the glory. Let me tell you, that's an exciting thought right there. But your name is written down in the land's book of life because you've been written up, signed up for the glory of God to work in your life until when you come to him face to face. Your name has been written down and the Lord knows you by name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. If my life is only so I might make it into heaven one day, then somehow I see the point of eternal reward and no eternal damnation. But my goodness, I got a whole lot of living in between, okay? 
now what? I'll tell you now what. You're something in the making. And God wants to use you now for his glory. Hallelujah. Remember Saul turned into Paul. Verse 3 in Acts 26, the Bible says, when he was on his way. Now, I used to always think, well, I've heard, I've even said as a preacher where Paul was knocked off his, Saul of Tarsus was knocked off his high horse. Nowhere in scripture says he was riding a horse. But he sure did learn the taste of dust. But he experienced something before that. Oh my gosh. The Bible says that there was a light. And according to Acts 26, Paul gives the account. He says, a light brighter than the sun shined out of heaven and enveloped him. Listen, this, this is a Jew of Jews. Hebrews of Hebrews. He knew all in the word. You know what happened when he looked up and all of a sudden saw a light brighter than the sun? Do you know what he was thinking of? He was thinking of the Shekinah glory of God came down. Something from heaven came down to him. And he realized that this was, this, was, this was the Shekinah glory of God. And he fell to the ground. The, uh, a light that was brighter than the midday sun shone on him and he fell to the ground and the Shekinah glory of God hid him and touched him. See, this is why Christians will brag and say, Lord, send down your glory. God says, if I send down my glory, you're going to hit the floor. You're going to taste dust. You're going to realize that I'm greater than what you are, and the glory of God will transform you because you're something in the making. So, he goes and that light shine on him and how I can refer is because also in the scripture Paul says in, 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 in chapter 26 he said that he spoke to me this voice spoke to me in the Hebrew tongue and called him Saul Saul and spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue it became evident to him this was God speaking this wasn't a false God this wasn't a demon it was a Hebrew tongue speaking to me and the light made him, and the Bible says in Acts 26, all the others fell too. They all fell down according to Paul. You know what? Pride always seems to show up when someone becomes religious. And that leads to self-righteousness. Pride does. Oh, man, this place ought to be ringing. Amen. Amen. Or oh me, I don't know, but... Amen. I don't want to be religious. I want to be real. Living in relationship with Jesus. I don't want to be religious. I want to be real. I want to be real. Don't you want to be real? In a, in, in a relationship with Jesus. And so he spoke to him. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As he was down on the ground. Jesus speaks. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me now two, there are two implications of this that you got to consider what, why Jesus said what he said that we can see in that verse number one is he's, he's implying that when he said why are you persecuting me he, number one he was implying that he said I'm in the heavens and you can't undo my work 
that which you're fighting against, it's not of fanatics, a work of fanatics. It's the march of God through history. You see, you can't work against me, Saul. You can't fight against me. I'm Jesus who sits on the throne. Hey, that's something the world will learn right here. They, there may be some marches going on up against the name of Jesus Christ, but no one can march against them and succeed because it's just futile. It's ridiculous. And Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then the other implication is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice Saul was going after Christians. Saul was going after the church. But here Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Now I want you to get this from me, okay? Get it from me. This is how special we are, you see? This is how important the church is. This is how important you are. It's because when, when anybody comes against you, they're calling against him. And so he's saying, why are you persecuting me? You touch them, you touch me. And so therefore we have that relationship that he makes it personal. He's not a God that sits on some high throne and pearly gates in a city unattainable, but he's a God that comes down and understands us and puts it in the vernacular. You devil, you touch my church, you're touching me. You affect my children, you affect me, and you're gonna deal with me. That ought to encourage some of you to feel like, man, I'm in warfare. I'm in. Oh, Jesus is in the war. Jesus is doing something about it. He will fight your battle. He will be with you. He will lead the way. What touches you touches him. Um, oh, see, the devil don't want you to realize that. He wants you to feel poor, old, lowly stepchild of God no you're a son and daughter of God you've been born into the family of God and Jesus is uh, your joint heirs with him he's the giver of salvation but he's a sustainer of your salvation hallelujah and then I want you to know something Paul, uh, Saul's answer a comment a question a question that he posed to the Lord after he fell to the ground and said Saul Saul why do you persecute me and then Saul of Tarsus says who are you Lord now he uses the word Lord realizing something coming down from heaven a voice speaking in Hebrew remembering the native tongue and his heritage must be God and all his power and glory but he says who are you Lord submitting to the light submitting to the authority and the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ he says who are you Lord and he answered I am Jesus whom you're persecuting and it's hard for you to kick against the goats. It's hard for you, Saul of Tarsus, to kick against the goats. I want to ask you this. When was the last time you asked the question to Jesus Christ, who are you? Who are you? 
in the context of your life, where does he fit in your life? Who are you? Who are you in my marriage? Who are you in my home? Who are you in my finances? Who are you in how I live? Who are you in my circumstances? We need to ask Jesus, who have I made you? Who have I made you, Jesus? Are you some elf on the shelf? Are you just some figurine, some post on Facebook periodically? Are you, are you, the, are you the dust on top of my Bible? Are you, the, are you the, the periodic time when I finally go to church and I finally make it there and I decide to go there? Where does he fit in our life? We need to ask Jesus, who have I made you? Saul addressed him as Lord, a person who has authority, control, and power over us. Many people want a Savior, but few people want a Lord. They want to make it into heaven, but they don't want a Lord to lead them. They don't want a Lord to, to open their eyes. They don't want a Lord to tell them what they shouldn't be doing and should be doing. Oh, somebody ought to be saying amen. This is good stuff. I mean, Jim Rayleigh couldn't say this better than I could. But the fact is, is that, you know, really, really, he's the Lord of our life. He's the Lord of my life because, you know what, I get to read my Bible. I get to pray. I get to go to church. I get to serve him. I get to worship him. I want to do so. He's the Lord of my life. He's my all in all. But if he's not Lord, then you better pose the question, is he still my Savior? Because he won't divide who he is. That's a food for thought right there. That's a food for thought. Hey, man, turn your neighbor and say, boy, man, this is heavy. Go on, say, this is heavy. Only surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus is a religious spirit wiped out. You ever seen? I've seen religious spirits melt away by tears falling down their face. And they're set free by the blockage they were experienced by their religiosity. But all of a sudden they, they had an encounter with Jesus and they realized that he's Savior and Lord and that he fits into their life and must be in their life. And they realized, Lord, it's you, not me. It's all about you, Jesus, and not about me. Our religious acts don't accomplish anything except feeding our pride. Our faith in Jesus only works through our love in Jesus. All spiritual ability is given to us because of Jesus. We read our Bibles because we love Jesus. We pray because we love Jesus. We tithe and give because we love Jesus. We go to church because we love Jesus. We witness and reach out to others because we love Jesus. We speak the truth in love because we love Jesus. I want you to know Saul of Tarsus, he had an experience 
with Jesus. Anybody here ever have an experience with Jesus? Uh-huh. Had an experience with Jesus. And sometimes we have our experiences with Jesus and stop and not press in to know Jesus. We need to press in and know him. We can have an experience, but we need to go after that to press in and to know Jesus. Jesus said to said to Saul, he said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And a goat is an eight-foot rod with a point on the end of it. And it was used to kind of nudge or poke a team of oxen just to get them moving in the right direction. In the direction that the one with the goat has is directing them. But if the animal fights against the goat and the direction, it will cut him and it penetrates the hide. It does more damage than what the tool is intended to do. How many have found out it's not good to fight against Jesus? It's not, it's not happy time when you fight against Jesus. Anybody ever been, ever had a good old Kentucky whooping by Jesus? He will correct us because he loves us. He will convict us because he loves us. He doesn't want to condemn us and that's why he convicts us. That's why he deals with us. That's why he pokes us in a direction said you need to follow the direction that you need to go in. But no, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to be a stupid ox. And I'm just going to be a dumb ox. And I'm going to press against what God wants in my life. So every time I got marks uh, on my body and scars in my life because I had pushed against the goad that God had wanted me to go in. But I realized that when I am sensitive to him and he leads me toward a direction, if I go too far than where I'm supposed to go, he'll nudge me and deal with me. And I know it's not judgment poking me, but love is poking me and wanting me to go in the right direction. That's, that's a good old godly goad. Thank you, Lord, for the go and raise your hand. Thank you, Lord, for the goads. Thank you, Lord, for the goads. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because sometimes we can be really stupid. You ever been stupid before? Go and raise your hand. Come on. I've, I've lived a long life. Hey, I, I can lift both hands if I can raise my feet the same time I do that because I've been stupid many times. But I found my stupidity gets me nowhere. But my servanthood with Jesus Christ gets me everywhere. And God will move and promote my life when I submit to him. That's what will happen to you. If you will not push against the goad, and you go and do, then God will work. Now, listen, listen, listen. Here is Saul of Tarsus in the dirt. He looks up the light. The voice speaking to him, Jesus. Jesus revealed himself, who he was, and he declared, he said, who are you, Lord? And acknowledged the lordship. You know what came out of his mouth? He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Oh, come on. You don't have to, you don't have to go to the seminary and Bible college to be used of God. You don't, you don't even have to be a long-lived Christian before God can use you. 
You can be just getting up out of the dust and just getting up and you say, Lord, what you want me to do? And he'll tell you what to do. That's the response. You know what? You know what this church needs? We need newborn Christians. We need people get saved. We need people get saved. Oh, now I got a, a few people. Come on here. We need people saved. We need to reach the lost. We need to have our hearts broken for the lost and the needy. We need to be searching and praying and seeking God that the Lord will save the lost. You've got family that are lost. You have neighbors that are lost. You have co-workers who are lost. There are lost people all around you. You need to be praying, oh God, give me a heartbeat for the lost. But you know why? Do you know why this old pastor says that we need people saved in the house? It's because usually when a person gets up out off the dust and they're standing there in the redemption power of the Lord, they don't have to be recruited. They volunteer. What do you want me to do, Lord? What can I do, Lord? Because they know and remember they can still taste what the dust tasted like and they can still remember how the bright light shone and they realize the redemption and the voice that came down and spoke to them and they get up out of the dust and they say, I'll go wherever you want me to go, God. I don't know much, but Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You know why? Because God's raising an army. God is raising an army. And he's looking for those who get up and say, what do you want me to do, Lord? Glory to God. I'll say it with a smile. You know, I don't want you to think I'm mad at you. I'm not. I'm not grumpy. I really feel God, okay? This is my preacher face. I try to be cool and smiling all the time, and I do work at it, but sometimes it, it just creeps up on me, you know, and I just kind of get, oh, I'm ready to wrestle a lion. I'm ready to tear down a bear. I'm ready to slay a giant. I'm ready to tear down walls. I'm ready for God to have his way. I'm ready for God to tear me up and turn me loose and allow me to be used for his glory. That's what I'm ready for. How about you? How about you, amen? Hallelujah. My God, hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, that's important because many times we want to tell God what we want to do and then ask him to bless it. We make the arrangements and we tell God, now God, we got, I got this going and I ask the Lord to bless it. And it's the first time God's ever heard anything of it. When we asked him, bless it. We didn't ask him, Lord, should I? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And then, and then all of a sudden, I, I, I don't mean to be vicious, but all of a sudden then homes are busted up. Relationships are busted up. Jobs are lost. And, 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 and finances get in disarray. And all of a sudden someone says, oh, God blessed me. You need to ask him first. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want, Lord? Then I can tell you scores of examples and experiences as a pastor over three churches of the people. I can name them by names and situations over and over again where failure was imminent because God was not the first and the first one to turn to. Oh my. Hallelujah. 
God's speaking to us, folks. He's speaking to us, all of us. Says, you know, I'd, I'd love to get a, a Jehovah. Uh, I'd, 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 like to, I'd love to have a Jericho march going on right now. But sometimes, God, it's hard to march on your knees. And maybe perhaps God wants us on our knees, you know, to, be, to seek him and to search his ways. We're victorious. As long as we're surrendering to him, we're victorious. But we can't have it our own way and then ask God to bless it. That's being selfish. It's actually being foolish. And you don't even raise your children that way. Now, I don't remember telling you to do that. I don't remember telling you to plug in that device and turn it on. I don't remember telling you to put that peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the VCR that used to be. And you know, because sandwiches did fit in the VCR. Now DVDs, I don't know what they do with DVDs now. But I didn't tell you to draw a picture on the DVD, you know, on the disc. I didn't tell you to go and paint the walls with the magic marker. I didn't, you know what I'm talking about, but to the child, this looks like fun. But we trained him to go to the source of reason and truth and to yield to authority. Then make decisions. And spiritual life's the same way. If you don't, if you don't ask the Lord, you're going to end up eating sticks. You'll be eating sticks instead of grass. You'll be living in the desert rather than living in the pasture. You'll be trying to find water instead of being in the place of water. This is where we need to f follow Him and 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 turn to Him for everything. Amen. You're going to buy a sofa. Ask God if it's God's will. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, sofas aren't cheap. You, do you have $1,700 just throw away? I don't. I need wisdom. God, give me, show me someplace a better sofa at a better place at a better price. That's good old spiritual common sense, isn't it? Look at me, smile, and say, that's right, Pastor. Shake your head, yes. You don't have to shout, just go, mm -hmm. amen. When we are out the... Out of focus with God, we make our decisions to go and do without the direction from the Lord. The Bible says when Saul of Tarsus, he opened his eyes and he saw no one. There are people walking with open eyes that are still blind. Because his eyes were open when he was doing what he was doing and God says, I'm going to demonstrate to you the consequences of leaving me out and following your own way. You open your eyes, but you'll still be blind. His eyes were open. He saw no one. And what it was, they just didn't, hadn't yet come into focus. And God was demonstrating our old nature when he was blinded. It was a demonstration, a statement given that our old nature just won't do anymore. Saul, your old nature just won't do anymore. If you're going to see, you're going to see through me. If you're going to see and look, your eyes may be open, you're still blind. God didn't inflict pain on Saul. He simply blinded him to his old nature so he can see the glory of God revealed in him. For the glory of God eventually calls his sight to return. But the old Saul of Tarsus could not operate anymore. It was going to have to take the transformation of God. 
You can't live out your old life and old ways after you've experienced a new life in Christ. Remember, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. And the life I now live, I live it by faith in Christ Jesus. I've been crucified through him. And so therefore, I'm going to live for his glory and follow him. And that we walk in the newness of life, the scripture says. So therefore, you can't live the old life. Saul's temporary blindness dealt with his pride and brought him to a place of understanding of spiritual dependency. You, some of you in this room may feel, I'm blind. I'm blind. God's trying to tell you, I want you to depend on me. To depend on me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to do this. God's saying, I'm wanting you to depend on me. I'll reveal my glory through you. If you'll depend on me. Our setbacks may be God's setups. The Bible says in verse 9 that for three days, he had three days of blindness. Put up the screen, verse 10 and through 18. I'm going to try and land this. I told you there were 10 sermons, and really I'm not preaching 10 sermons. This is kind of like a verse-by-verse carry-on, but maybe if you'll just listen, God has something in particular for you. Verse 10, Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Hear my Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. There's got to be a sermon in there. I'm telling you. Where are you supposed to reside after you have an encounter with Jesus? Get on Straight Street. Amen? You better be found on Straight Street, not the Crooked Road, not Crooked Pass, but Straight. Not, now that's not the word Straight in the Bible where it's the hard way. That's S-T-R-A-I-T. But straight, this means just a straight path. He's on straight street. You'll find on straight street and inquire the house of Judas. For one, call Saul of Tarsus. That's not Judas Iscariot. He's dead. He's gone. It's history. One called. He said, go to the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh my goodness. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Boy, you talk about a God setup. God's already made arrangements. Okay, Ananias, just do it. And so here we go. And then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. Oh, the fleshy side coming in there. But let's go on and says, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on his name. Go to the next one. But the Lord said to him, go. Oh, when God says go, you better go. Don't you hesitate. Don't you say, but, 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 but. There aren't no buts. Be careful where you put your butt. But the fact is, is that the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. I think that just about covers everybody. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Boy, that's really a positive flow there. God's calling Saul and Saul. You know what? I'm going to call you so you might suffer. That's not very popular with the mainstream church today. Everybody ought to be prosperous. Everybody ought to be driving 
or riding in a limo. Everybody ought to be happy. Everybody ought to be jumping and living like the devil and everything's fine and everything's good. Everything is just hunky-dory and, and cupcakeville and everything's sweet and lovely and good and, 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 and just wonderful. No, no, in the kingdom of God, you're going to suffer. But make sure you suffer for his name's sake because if he's the Lord over your life, then he'll bring glory. Glory in your life. Amen. You've been made fun of work because you're a Christian. You're suffering for his name's sake. You didn't get the promotion because someone else had done things uh, shifty and everything to get their, their way. Then just to say it's the glory of God. That's all right. Let's, let's go back. So you put the scripture back up there. You put the scripture back up and it'd be great. Now, three days of blindness. Three days of blindness producing serious prayer. You ever been there before? Not blindness, but you know, in Darkville, where that you're down, and it may have been something. It could have been your health. It could have been bad news. It could have been a situation with family. It could have been something. It just seemed despondent and dark. But it produced serious prayer. You know me. You know, you, do you know about the old God prayers? Do you know about, have you ever heard of them before? Something bad happens and all of a sudden the saints say, Oh God! That's okay if you really mean it. But many times, and I've done it, Oh God! I need you for this, God. I need to depend on you, Lord. I'm sorry for the way I've lived. I'm sorry for my attitudes. Oh God! Move on. This. In the moment of distress, bring serious prayer. And sometimes it, we get there because we need to get there in a place of serious prayer. But it produced some serious prayer in Saul of Tarsus. You know why? First of all, he was blind and he was praying. And you know why? This is the first time old Saul of Tarsus prayed in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, because what did, what did God tell Ananias? He says, oh, behold, he prays. Oh, let me tell you, when God's people pray, things happen in our personal life. Oh, I'm telling you, prayer is not, not only will our petitions before God do something for the lives of others when we're, we're, we're giving supplications and prayers on behalf of people's needs and situations and we look for an answer prayer, but there's something that churns inside of us. When we become a prayer machine and we begin to pray and seek God, we begin to get closer to him and transform on the inside because behold, he prays. So you go up there, street, straight street. You go to Saul of Tarsus. I've already given the vision. Oh, what, God speaking to blind people? Yeah, gave, gave blind, a blind person a vision. I think that's interesting too. Behold, he's praying. Prayed like he never prayed before. Let's go on. Acts 9, verse 17, 22 and close. And Ananias went his way. Won't you stand with me? And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying his hands on him, Saul of Tarsus. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight 
and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that was a little added thing there. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the scales fell off of his eyes. You know what just dawned on me was because if that was Shekinah glory that blinded him, maybe it was just scabs that come off because of such glory to the light that fell off of the fire of God. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. Go ahead. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. <laughs> That's why God wants to say Jesus to the world. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Now, I just wonder if there's some folks here who say, Pastor, I want to have, not only do I just want to have an experience, I want to move from that experience and to know Jesus more, to know him and to draw close to him. We Pentecostals, I'm so glad I can feel God. Does anybody ever feel God, the anointing presence of God? That's good. We are human beings. We've been created that way. That's why God touches us and we feel. We've been created in his image. God feels. God feels. He understands. But what's so wonderful is that we feel. We can experience and have an experience with him. But then not only that, we can know him. Now, you know if you're facing hard times, the best thing, the, the level you want to reach is that you want to know Jesus. You know him. You know him. More than feeling, you know him. Experience can be a feeling, but knowing him is deeper and deeper. It's the progression from the experience is to know him, to really, really know him. My wife and I... We're getting close to being married for 40 years. And I think if anybody on this planet knows me more, and for a long time knows me more than anyone, anyone, any, any of you, you may think you know me, you don't know me. You don't know me. But she knows me. Because she's experienced with me. She knows my actions. She could even know what I'm going to say before I even say it. Because she knows me. Now, wouldn't that not make sense that that's the way if you're facing something that you know Jesus like you've never known him before? Mm, what confidence? That's when faith rises up. David knew it. Oh, Goliath, you come against me with spear and sword, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of the host of the armies of Israel. Oh, you come against me with weapons, but I know God. I know God. Are you facing something and you want to have that experience? Maybe you've got to be receive the glory of God in you where that you'll be blinded to the old way. Begin to walk and receive new sight in a new way. You know, life brings changes. And many times changes are forced upon us. Don't you think we need to be able to see clear and have a focus on what Jesus wants in our life?